have needs and desires and seek to discover our own erotic journey, you've come to the right place. This is Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver, presented by SDC. In the next hour, we're here to answer your burning questions about relationships, sexuality, and health from the leading sex experts and professionals. Now, here is your host, Lexi Silver. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm your host, Lexi Silver. And as usual, we have a very luxual show for you all today. It's holiday season and the end of the year, and what a year it's been. Thank you all for tuning into my show and exploring your lexuality with me. So, to wrap up this year, today I'll be featuring excerpts for some of my most popular shows, all about open relationships, swinging, and hot wifing. We're going to talk about the different types of open relationships, how to get on the same page as your partner, how to cope with jealousy, and what the swinging lifestyle and hot wifing are really all about. Now, before we kick off this episode, I want to thank our sponsor, SDC.com, your and my expert source of exclusive information about sex, health, and relationships, where you can also access the world's largest lifestyle dating platform. Use my special promo code 7070 to get two months free at SDC.com. That's 7070 to get two months free at SDC. We'll start this episode by talking about open relationships with Dr. Liz Powell. Enjoy. Join me today with Dr. Liz Powell, licensed psychologist, sex educator, speaker, and expert in non-traditional relationships and author of the book, Building Open Relationships. Welcome, Dr. Liz. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Lexi. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Oh, me too. All right, so let's get it going. Let's talk. I know a lot of people on SDC are there because they're interested already in non-monogamy, and they want to know a little bit more about how to navigate the waters in a safe way, in a healthy way. Even you know, people who haven't yet started a relationship are looking to see how they can enter non-monogamy with their partner or There's so many terms that tend to get misused and thrown around, and I think the first starting off point for this conversation should be, let's get to some of those definitions. So what's the difference between non-monogamy, open relationships, swinging, monogamish, and polyamorous relationships? So non-monogamy is like an umbrella term to describe any relationship that is not monogamous. So that includes kind of any other form of of non-monogamy that we look at. Uh, swingers tend to be people who approach non-monogamy in a couple-centric way. So often they have one partner with whom they are married or they share living space or they have children and they as a couple look out to find other sexual partners. Sometimes swingers will play with other people individually, sometimes they won't. Sometimes there are certain sexual acts that they will or won't participate in, but it's still focused on a couple-centric version where the couple is the unit that is engaging in the activity. People who are monogamish, it's a term coined by Dan Savage, The way that he uses it is that you understand that over the lifetime of a monogamous relationship, everyone is probably going to cheat at one point or another. So you acknowledge that at some point there is going to be sex outside of that commitment. Mm -hmm. Some people are using monogamous these days to indicate that they have a primarily emotionally and socially monogamous relationship, but sexually they are occasionally Mm non-monogamous. And that could be anything as little as like making out with friends or having cuddle dates to occasionally having penetrative sex or oral sex with other people. People who are polyamorous, there's a whole (laughs) range of folks within polyamory as well. (laughs) So polyamory refers to people who have multiple loving relationships with the full knowledge and consent of everyone involved. So people can practice what's called hierarchical polyamory, 
Hierarchical polyamory is in some ways similar to swinging in that in hierarchical polyamory, people have a primary partner or one or more primary partners. And those people have um, more preference and often more power than those who are at lower levels, like secondary or tertiary levels. Um, generally, people will only cohabitate with primary partners, would generally only have children uh, or share finances with primary partners. Egalitarian polyamory or non-hierarchical polyamory is a form of polyamory where you don't have strict levels between like who's primary and secondary and tertiary. I think there's often a misconception that this means that everybody is treated exactly the same. You see everybody exactly the same number of times. Everybody has exactly the same things that they do in your life. <laughs> I think that's inaccurate. The idea behind egalitarian polyamory is that there isn't any kind of enforced power structure. You, of course, are going to have preferences. Of course, there are going to be people you do want to be more serious with, people you want to be less serious with. The idea is that the people with whom you are more serious don't get to tell you who you can or cannot be more serious with. There's also solo polyamory, which is what I often identify as myself. Okay. Solo polyamory is a version of polyamory that is practiced at the individual unit. So people who are solo poly are people who center autonomy in the way that they practice non-monogamy. So the way that I think about it is nobody gets to tell me what I do with my body, my heart, my mind, or my time. And I don't want to ever feel like I'm having to control or tell my partners what to do with their body, their heart, their mind, or their time. This doesn't mean that you can like just go out willy-nilly and have sex with everybody without condoms and there's never <laughs> any consequences and everything's fine. But it does mean that my partner gets to make decisions about themselves and then I decide what I'm going to do about that in reaction. Hmm. There's also relationship anarchy, which is... So the same way that like in the realm of religions, Buddhism is kind of a philosophy that can coexist with other religions, relationship anarchy is a theoretical and ethical approach to non-monogamy that can happen in any kind of actual relationship configuration. You could be monogamous and come from a relationship anarchy perspective. Hmm. Relationship anarchy basically states that you allow each relationship to find its own level. Hmm. So there's nothing about your other relationships that tells you what can or can't happen in your other relationships. And a lot of people who are relationship anarchists also don't believe in, like, distinctions between friends and partners. They just view emotional closeness as emotional closeness, sexual closeness as sexual closeness, intimacy as intimacy. And so their labels tend to look slightly different and their arrangements look slightly different. And the reason I say you could be monogamous and do that is if you genuinely only want to have a sexual relationship with one person, you can do that in relationship anarchy. If you genuinely only want to have a romantic relationship with one person, you can do that in relationship anarchy. The idea is that there's not some system saying you don't get to do it with other people. So there's still an opening if something else evolves in the future. So relationship anarchy sounds super fluid. Like there are so many different things that you can try and you're really not bound by labels, which is something I, I think we're going to maybe talk a little bit about later, how yeah. some people call themselves, for example, swingers, but maybe they orient themselves more with a, a relationship anarchy perspective and they're maybe falling in a couple of different categories de depending on the situation or the partner or whatever. I think there's a lot of confusion when it comes down totally. to non-monogamy. Well, I think there's also a lot of ways that we choose labels based upon the social groups we want to align ourselves with. So like oh. for my sexual orientation, I identify as bisexual and queer. I identify as bi because stop telling me that I should identify as pan. <laughs> like, and it's a misconception that bi folks only like cisgender people, mm -hmm. right? And so I have like a a way of aggressively identifying with bisexuals and working to end biphobia and bi erasure. Mm -hmm. And I also identify as queer because my sexuality is remarkably fluid, as is my gender, right? So 
when people align themselves with swingers, what they're often doing is saying, this community feels like a community that I like and that I feel at home in. It doesn't necessarily dictate then how they're going to behave. Uh, I know several people, I used to be on the Life on the Swing Set podcast, and the people who started that podcast when they started were completely swingers, and then they evolved into also doing some polyamory and having more significant relationships. And so I think that there are ways that we choose labels based on communities. For instance, I don't tend to identify as a relationship anarchist, even though it's a lot of how I do my, my relationships, because the early relationship anarchists who I met were all jerks. <laughs> they were what I like to think of as relationship libertarians. Their approach was, your feelings are yours, that's yours to deal with, that's not my problem, which technically, yes, everyone's feelings are their own to deal with, and part of a relationship is that we care about what our partner is going through, right? So I think that there's definitely a large social component to how people end up identifying. And I also think that there's some fear and some worry. If you're listening to all of these different things and you're coming from a monogamous background, the ones that are closest to monogamy are going to sound the easiest. They're going to sound like the less scary, particularly if you already have a partner who you love and who you identify with as like a primary or nesting partner. It can seem really scary to open up to the idea of them falling in love with someone else. Mm -hmm. And so it can be easier at first to say, well, we're not going to do that love stuff. We're just going to do the sex stuff. And for some people that works long term, for others it doesn't. So I think what I would encourage people to the most is just being open to what does and doesn't fit for them. And it may be different than you think. That's definitely a different perspective than what you normally hear when you start talking about non-monogamy, because you're also leaving room open to, I guess, apply the labels in a way that makes sense for you in the social group that you are identifying with at that time. And I think too, that something that a lot of us don't do well because we're not used to it, but that people often do um, more effectively in queer communities is ask people what their labels mean to them. Mm. So if someone tells you they're a swinger, you can ask them, like, what does that mean for you? Like, what does that look like? What kinds of things are on your menu? What things are off your menu? Because that'll give you a much better idea of where they're at than just the single label of swinger. Yeah, definitely. So how do people go from monogamous relationships or that monogamous way of thinking into non-monogamy? How does that happen? It's a big challenge. I got to be honest. Um, <laughs> I have a whole section in my book about unlearning the monogamy mindset. Okay. Most of us in our culture upbringing, we're taught this fairy tale idea of love, that you're going to meet someone, they're going to be the one, they're going to perfectly understand you, you're going to love them forever, and then your relationship will end in death. What we believe from monogamy is that our specialness is about who our partner has sex with, it's about exclusivity, mm -hmm. that our specialness and our importance to them is defined by what they don't do with others. And a lot of moving into non-monogamy is about unlearning those messages. Mm -hmm. It's about addressing our own fears and worries and insecurities and figuring out what does make us special. I think that almost everyone I know in the non-monogamy world has at least once had the experience where their partner starts dating someone who they think is more attractive than they are. Right. So like my partner, my partner last year started dating this person who was a friend of mine and she's one of those typical, like really skinny, really pretty people. And I'm curvy, which is also sexy, but like not societally recognized as being as sexy. And a part of my brain told me she's prettier than you. And that's why he wants her. And he's going to totally not want to be with you as much because she's so much prettier than you are. And all of us have this garbage that we've been fed <laughs> by culture and society over and over about why we're not good enough, why we're not right, why we're never going to be loved, why no one's ever going to care about us. And in monogamy, it feels easier because you kind of like lock one person down and then you don't have to worry about it, right? Theoretically. 
Yeah. <laughs> half of relationships have cheating and half of marriages end in divorce, right? The theory is if you just lock it down, you never have to worry about that again. And so non-monogamy forces you to really examine and identify all of these beliefs you have about who you are, what makes you special, and why someone would be with you. And it's a tough, tough journey. Whether you're doing it coming from an established relationship or you're starting it as an individual, it's a hard process. And it, there's a lot of places along the way where you're probably going to stumble. I think we do each other a disservice when we expect people new to non-monogamy to be perfect at it. And I think that those of us who are in non-monogamous communities need to be more mindful of when we have the resources internally to support people who are newer to non-monogamy versus when we don't. Because I think a lot of folks end up dating someone who's new to non-monogamy and then they get frustrated and upset with the ways that they don't do things the way that you would expect yet. Mm -hmm. But that's, whenever anyone is learning something new, you would expect it's going to take them time to relearn it. Yeah. And those are really good points. And that also shows the potential kinds of conflict that could happen with two individuals or more individuals who are at different levels of their experience with non-monogamy or, you know, come from different non-monogamous backgrounds for sure. Who have different ideas about what non-monogamy is or should look like. Because yeah. if I'm dating someone who practices hierarchical polyamory and I'm someone who is like solo poly sort of relationship anarchist and I don't believe in other people having a say in my relationship who aren't in that relationship, I'm going to get really upset if their primary partner starts saying what limits are going to be for our relationship. Oh, for because sure. Because to me, that doesn't feel like how I want to do non-monogamy, but they get to choose what style that they're doing. I think what we have to focus on when we talk about this journey from mainstream relationships into non-monogamous relationships is how can we focus on being as ethical as possible and as good to as many people we encounter as possible? Because you're going to fuck up. There's, there's not a question <laughs> of like, am I going to mess up when I do this? I still mess up all the time. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing this for years. We all do. Stop messing up. Yeah. What matters is how you clean it up. And what matters is how much thought you put into it beforehand. So when we talk about ethics and non-monogamy, the biggest points that I would hammer home, uh, they're covered in the book more than two, are don't treat people as things. And the people in the relationship are more important than the relationship. I think the monogamous mindset feeds us this idea that you should suffer as much as you need to because relationships are about sacrifice and as long as you keep the relationship going, especially if you're socialized as a woman, then everything is fine. And we learn to like sacrifice ourselves in relationships in ways that aren't necessarily healthy or helpful. When you embrace that the people in the relationship are more important than the relationship, it gives you the freedom to say, these are the elements of this relationship that aren't working for me. How do we shift that or change that? Or how do we decide what relationship could work? given who we both are and where we both are in our journeys. The most common question I hear is like, how does a couple open up? And it's a common question because I think a lot of people who enter the non-monogamous world enter with an existing partner. The challenge is that when you frame it as we are opening our relationship to other people, you're entrenching what we call couple privilege in the way that you're going to approach things. So couple privilege, uh, you know, privilege as a general term talks about the way that society gives benefits to people uh, in ways that it does not give benefits to others. So for me, as someone who is unmarried and does not have a current significant partner, if I'm invited to a party and I get a plus one, like, who's my plus one going to be? I don't freaking know. Uh, or <laughs> when I'm going to a thing with all my friends and they're all bringing their partners and I'm the single person, I'm looked at very differently. When I go out to dinner by myself, I always get to look like, what? <laughs> there are ways in which you are expected to be partnered in our society. And you're expected to be partnered monogamously. And so 
there is a certain degree of benefit that is given to people who are in what is perceived as a significant on the relationship escalator committed relationship. When you enter non-monogamy from that perspective of we are more important than everyone else, uh, particularly we see a lot of this with like unicorn hunters. So unicorn <laughs> hunters are couples who come into non-monogamous spaces. It's almost always a heterosexual couple and they have decided that they want to find a woman to add to their marriage to complete them is mm-hmm. often the language that is used. And usually they have spent a lot of time and energy thinking about what this relationship is going to look like without ever talking to any of the people who might be in that relationship. So they have already set the terms of the relationship without the input of one of the people who's going to be in it. That's what we're looking at when we're talking about couple privilege. The ways in which people in one relationship make decisions about other relationships that those other people don't get a say in. In general, the people who have the most say in any given relationship should be the people in that relationship. And so when you open up your relationship, really what you're doing is ending the relationship you had and beginning an entirely new one. The relationship that you had was based on a whole lot of precepts and ideas and beliefs that you're no longer following. Those rules are gone. Mm-hmm. And that means that you kind of have to start over, which sounds so scary and sounds <laughs> terrible. It can actually be an amazing opportunity. You know, I'm a therapist. A lot of clients come to me when things in their life have fallen apart. And I tell them, if we think about these things in your life as building blocks that were built up in a tower, yes, your tower got knocked down and that sucks. But now you get to decide which blocks go in the tower that you're building again. Where are they going to go? How strong are they going to be? What are you going to add? What are you going to take away? It gives you the freedom to create a life that fits you better. Because most of us, the towers we have that topple contain a lot of blocks that we just took on because we were told we had to. I hope you all enjoyed that and learned a little more about the often confusing terms that are thrown around when it comes to talking about ethical non-monogamy. You could find out more about Dr. Liz Powell and get her book on buildingopenrelationships.com and sexpositivepsych.com. Now let's explore the topic of jealousy with Kitty Shambliss. Here we go. Have you ever experienced feelings of jealousy? Are you struggling with jealousy and finding it difficult to communicate those feelings to your partner? Do you want to know how you can successfully cope with jealousy and maintain a healthy relationship? Today, we're going to talk to Kitty Shambliss, relationship coach, speaker, educator, and the host of the podcast, Loving Without Boundaries, and the author of Jealousy Survival Guide. I met Kitty at Southwest Love Fest in Arizona not long ago, and we clicked right away. We have a lot in common, and she's super easy to talk to, and you're going to get to hear that for yourself today. And I attended her workshop, Jealousy Survival Guide, and I thought it was super practical. I really learned a lot about how to be more empathetic when it comes to partners who are handling their own feelings of jealousy. And I know a lot of other people who are attending who are dealing with issues of jealousy. And I really appreciated her tips so much and found her so incredibly insightful. And I knew she'd be a great resource to share with all of you today. So welcome, Kitty. Thank you so much for being on my show. Oh my goodness, you're so welcome. I am super (laughs) excited to be here. Thank you for asking me to be on. I'm really excited because I get a lot of really great questions from people who are in all kinds of different types of relationships. Everyone wants to know how they can deal with jealousy. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely (laughs) delighted to be here and I'm really passionate about serving this community in general and just helping people have healthier, more satisfying relationships. So I'm I'm happy to be here and, and share whatever I can with your listeners. Oh, I really appreciate that. So let's get started. I guess the first most practical question that I can ask you is, what's the difference between envy and jealousy? Yeah, the way I describe it is 
envy is really wanting what somebody else has. And in some ways that can be really beneficial. So for example, if somebody gets a promotion and you think, wow, you know, I want to do better in my career. You know, I want to work my way up the corporate ladder that can motivate you to go get it for yourself. And you're not necessarily upset that the other person got a promotion. It inspires you and excels you to achieve Whereas jealousy can really be based on fear. So it can be based on fear of potentially losing what you have. And then that fear can lead to possibly feeling intolerant or hostile towards, in in the case of relationships, like a perceived rival or also kind of guarding what you perceive as a possession of yours. So maybe your partner. So it can be really based on fear of loss. And there's, it's very complicated emotion too. It can also have, you know, some anger in there and anxiety. So really complex. The underpinning of it is really fear of loss. Mm-hmm. And is that a personality thing or a relationship thing? To Really, I guess some of the confusion around jealousy is just that it's another emotion. You know, so when you think about anger, you wouldn't necessarily put that in necessarily a personality or a relationship category. It's just simply an emotion. And I think sometimes people think of jealousy like it's this big monster that we have to run away from as quickly as possible (laughs) or deny that we're even feeling it because I don't feel jealous, you know, and uh, and we can repress just something that's normal, natural emotion, and then it comes out sideways. So, yeah, so I guess uh, first I'd just like to point out that it's really just a feeling that we all are going to experience from time to time, and it's even been shown, you know, infants as early as six months old that they can experience jealousy. So it's innate as a human emotion that we're going to feel it from time to time. I'm so happy that you mentioned that because so many of our feelings and our emotions are natural. And it's really just a matter of not feeling like there's anything wrong with you. If you're feeling jealousy, that's okay. And as we're going to talk about over the rest of this episode, there are some ways that you can deal with it in a positive way. Uh, So it doesn't end up being something that's negative. Jealousy doesn't have to be a negative thing. Why do people experience jealousy? Yeah, so... I like to talk about that there's um, there can be five jealousy triggers just to kind of think of it in uh, a way that we can all understand. So one could be possessiveness. So you really want that thing or person or fill in the blank for yourself and you just don't want to share it with anyone else. And the idea of sharing might even feel very threatening to you. So that's one. And another is if you have low self-esteem or maybe negative self-worth. So you might be afraid that you're not really good enough and that if your partner sees how wonderful somebody else is, then they might end up leaving you because that other person is better, prettier, sexier than you, and just all around better. So kind of like that um, kind of insecurity feeling. Another jealousy trigger could be um, the idea of control. So you might want your partner or partners to do what you want them to do when you want them to do it in a way that works for you. And and that, that expression of kind of trying to exert any type of control or manipulation, that can also go into an abusive place if it gets out of control. Mm-hmm. 
So those three are really all based on, you know, working on yourself or possibly working on if you have any type of insecurity. But it's two other jealousy triggers. One is just rational fear. So things might come up. So maybe you're spending less time with your partner or you end up doing a lot of the childcare while your partner's off doing other fun things that you wish you could be doing or maybe just rational fear that somebody might try to steal your, your partner, which can happen, you know? So that's just, um, it is fear-based, but it's, it's rational fear based on um, things that actually could happen in real life. And another jealousy trigger is, vulnerability. I mean, when we're going to be in relationships, we're putting our hearts in the line, we're falling in love, we're naturally making ourselves more vulnerable. So we can have um, fear of losing that relationship after we've really um, bonded with somebody, both emotionally or maybe our finances are intertwined. And then, you know, there are real threats out there. I mean, um, there are people that might, what I call cowgirls or cowboys who might be trying to take our partner away from us to keep them for themselves. So those are, those are right kind of categorized as uh, the, the five main jealousy triggers. You can think of them like five different buckets of why we might feel jealousy. It is very normal to feel all of these different things at different levels throughout different phases of your relationship, even if you're in a monogamous or non-monogamous relationship. Absolutely. A lot of people who talk to me about their relationships and they're coming maybe from a more of a monogamous place, they mentioned to me that they feel they can never be in a non-monogamous relationship because they're too jealous. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I've heard this before as well. And we could, you know, take it at face value. Maybe, maybe they're absolutely correct, you know, that it's at least possible that that's true for them because we aren't them, right? We want to give them, you know, autonomy over their own life and their own situation. But I mean, if they wanted to have a conversation about it, I would say, you know, maybe just take a step back first away from jealousy and just talk about, you know, hey, you know, does monogamy work for you? Or, you know, are you, you know, could you possibly have any interest in being in a more open style relationship? Because I think it can really be more of a, I kind of both identify as polyamorous. And for me, it's also a choice that I make. Mm -hmm. So it takes work, right? Like everything takes work. Um, being in a healthy relationship, whether it's monogamous or polyamorous, but if you are going to choose polyamory or an open relationship, you are swimming upstream from society because you are in the minority and we don't naturally know how to do that. So we're not naturally taught from a young age how to be in a multiple relationships in a healthy way, which is partly why I do the work that I do. Right? <laughs> um, but I mean, so, you know, first, you know, I would say taking a step back to really think about it in terms of what do, what do I really want in my life? You know, do I want to have more than one relationship at a time? Can I, you know, would come kind of like as a later question. And then in terms of, you know, I'm too jealous, I couldn't do that. I would just challenge that person if they are open to having a discussion or they're, they're at least, you know, pondering if maybe they want to have um, more than one relationship to, you know, think about like, 
when we talk about anger management classes, right? So, you know, we know that if somebody is experiencing anger and it's maybe in a non-healthy way, that maybe they have to go get anger management classes. So we know that we can learn better habits and learn better skills. And I would say the same is true for jealousy. We can learn better habits and learn better skills if we want to. I mean, if somebody doesn't want to, they're not going to learn it, right? You know, somebody's not going to change unless they, they decide that they want to change. But it is a skill that we can learn. We can learn to manage that emotion and handle ourselves in a way that we can um, move through jealousy and get to a place of intimacy and connection if we want to. If we want to. So yeah. we have to be willing to make a change and to develop these skills in order to be able to have a successful relationship or multiple relationships. And of course, you know, as we were talking about earlier, if somebody truly just simply chooses monogamy and that's how they identify, uh, then great, you know, but of course you can still experience jealousy in a monogamous relationship as well. When I wrote the book, I wasn't just thinking about intimate relationships. I've been dealing with jealousy showing up in my life from a very young age, you know, from friends and when I would get promoted and then people who got hired at the same time with me would get very angry about that and, you know, express that as jealousy, but I've experienced it in friendships. You and I have talked about that. So yes. jealousy can show up in all different areas of our life. I just wrote the book geared towards people in multiple relationships because we don't have a lot of tools. So I wanted to have another tool out there for people to use. As you just heard, jealousy doesn't always have to be a bad thing. And experiencing jealousy is just a part of our human existence. It's an emotion you could feel no matter what kind of relationship you're in. Check out Kitty's book and her podcast at lovingwithoutboundaries.com. Let's move on to hear the personal experiences of John and Jackie Melfi of Open Love 101 and go more in depth about their first time as a swinging couple and what being part of the swinging lifestyle has done for them. To help me with this discussion, I invited some of my favorite lifestyle experts, John and Jackie Melfi of Open Love 101. The Swinging Powerhouse was recently featured on CNN in an episode of This Is Life, hosted by Lisa Ling as they talked about their experiences in the swinging lifestyle. So get ready to fearlessly embrace your lexuality with Jackie, John, and I. Let me tell you a bit more about our special guest today. John and Jackie Melfi identify as being swingers and are in an open relationship. This dynamic duo are the driving force behind ColletteClubs.com, a swingers club brand located in Dallas, New Orleans, Houston, and Austin. John has been in the swinger club industry for 20 years, and when he and Jackie met, they expanded the business in order to reach and educate more couples than singles curious about the lifestyle. They own the award-winning lifestyle blog, OpenLove101.com. Welcome to my show, John and Jackie. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Lexi. Thanks for having us today. We are excited about what's going to happen. <laughs> that intro, I am worn out. I have a I lot know. going on. <laughs> right? It's like, man, I do all that. <laughs> yeah, you do. And you do it well. And, uh, you know, you were recently interviewed on CNN by Lisa Ling. And that was a fantastic piece. I, you know, I really enjoyed it. I thought it really gave an interesting look into the lifestyle. And and you were wonderful. I loved hearing about your relationship and how you got started, how you, you know, knew each other since, uh, since high school. And then fate just kind of, you know, eventually brought you back together. And 
you started to explore swinging. We did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I had been in the lifestyle pretty much all my life, but Jackie had been in a long term, a couple of long term marriages and never had broached the subject until she met me. And of course, because I own swingers clubs, it was a <laughs> major topic of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> and an interesting one too, not all couples get to talk about that kind of thing or get to experience what it is that we experience. I am also in the lifestyle, so I completely understand how that is. My partner is as well. So I, I know the some of the unique challenges that couples can face with that. And I know you've experienced your own too. I want to hear more about your first ever swing experience and how that made you feel. Like, how did you get into having that discussion and, and venturing forth into it. Jackie? Well, you know, like John said, I was brand new to this whole concept of swinging. Yeah. You know, it was, it was just so outside the box. I just couldn't figure out like, how do you, how do you really make that work? I mean, can you really be in a relationship with someone yet still have this kind of no fences um, mentality to, to a relationship? So I don't know if it was because of my age or just my history, but at that point when John and I reconnected, I was kind of ready to do something different. Um, you know, it's, it was probably an easier segue for me that he owned swingers clubs because, it was, you know, that was his livelihood. It was going to be something I was going to be dealing with. So it kind of gave me a platform to jump off of to, to research it. You know, and this was something that was going to be, in our relationship if I decided to pursue that. So it was months into our relationship. I'd done some research and uh, I had told John several times that I thought I was ready to kind of make a fantasy that I had had into a reality. And, and that would be a threesome, you know. Every time John would set it up, we'd get like right to the edge of that and I would pull back and be like, no, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. <laughs> I don't know how many times he had schedule something, cancel it, and we would reschedule, cancel. I don't know. But then one night, um, several months into our relationship, I don't know, there was just some kind of a switch that, that clicked with me. And I said, you know what? Let's schedule something. Like right this second before I change my mind. And, and so John did. I mean, he was able to pull that off. And I remember driving to the location where we were going to meet this guy. And I had just this flood of emotion going on. There's that concept where fear and excitement elicit the same physical emotion in us. Yeah. So that's kind of where I was. I was just kind of in this place of, oh, am I really going to do this? There's something kind of cool with the fact that I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. There's something kind of weird that I'm going to do this. You know? So it was this kind, of, this kind of battle. But I really, you know, I pushed myself because... It was something I wanted to know at the end of the day, was it something I was going to enjoy or was it something I wasn't going to enjoy? And, it, you know, the only way I was going to know that is if I did it. So, so I decided, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take responsibility for the choice. And uh, we did it. And of course it turned out fantastic. And kind of the rest is history. On the drive home from that uh, meeting, I was so excited for Jackie. And the, and the one thing she'd said was it just, it made her feel so empowered. And that's really the first time I'd ever heard a woman say that. And you know, women really have this strict, narrow societal guideline about how they're supposed to have sex. 
And for someone to be able to, to do something outside the box like that and then to feel empowered by it was, was really exciting for me. And it just really made me happy that, that she felt that way. I think you touched on something crucial there too, uh, other than empowerment, which I'm going to circle back to in a sec, but you got to that point where you were almost ready and then you pulled back. So basically, I'll just say, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the reasons this beautiful scenario was probably so pleasurable for you was because you were finally ready to do it. You had reached that point. And I think that's really important that when people are getting ready to enter the lifestyle, if they feel that trepidation, right, and they're not really ready to do it, that it's best to just wait until you actually are ready. Yes. Well, and that works, that works from both sides. You know, when I tell the story, I can tell that story with ease about how I pulled back from it. And that had a lot to do with John's response. If John had said like, what the heck is wrong with you? You said you were ready to do this and now you made me cancel. And now I'm out. (laughs) I would have probably pulled back even more. So the fact that he was patient and he, he let the speed of our relationship go as fast as the slowest person, which was me. And I, I think because of that, I was able to leave that interchange, get in the car that night, and just be like, can you believe that? <laughs> and have his support. You know, it, it was really pivotal. Oh, that's so beautiful. And that empowerment that you mentioned, that feeling, I know I understand it very well. And I've never been as empowered as I, I am now uh, to explore my sexuality or my lexuality, if you will. If I weren't in the lifestyle, I would never have experienced some of these fantastic things that I've experienced. And that's, you know, some of what I get out of being part of the lifestyle. What else do you, as a couple and as individuals, feel like you get out of being in the swinger lifestyle above and beyond business, of course, because obviously your business is super intertwined with the lifestyle, right? But what do you get on a personal level? I, mean, I don't even know. I don't even know where I would stop with that list. Seriously, it's so funny because John and I were just talking yes, about this yesterday. I mean, it, the the level of empathy, compassion, trust, honesty, communication uh, just is is endless and boundless. I mean, he's my partner, but he also, he gets to be my best friend. We hear that all the time, you know, like, oh, my partner's my best friend. But I mean, he's like literally my (laughs) best friend because I can tell him those things that you reserve for your best friend, those secret hidden agendas maybe that you have, or those, those secret crushes that you have on other people that you know that you can, you know, entrust that best friend with. John is that person for me, you know, so I get to take these, these thoughts or feelings or visions, fantasy, you know, whatever you want to call them. And I get to talk to him about it. And then we get to decide how we want to move forward with that. And, you know, we talk about our partners being our greatest allies. This relationship has shown me what that really means. Right. And for me, I was sharing with Jackie yesterday that the, the freedom she gives me to be who I am, it just, it means so much to me. I, I, in other relationships that, I, that I've been in over the years, I haven't had that. It's, it's the ball and chain relationship, you know, where you, you really have to temper so many things about yourself. And with Jackie, I can be completely honest about who I am as a man, and she accepts me no matter no matter what I am. And uh, it's, that's a great feeling to have in a relationship. Of course. I mean, we 
none of us want to be judged and, and we don't want to be judged for, you know, things that other people might find shameful. Like the fact that we want to have sex with other people, the fact that maybe we have a particular kink or fetish. And the last thing you want is to feel like your partner is judging you for those things. So it's really great that you have that openness. You're each other's best friends. You're, you know, your partners, your partners in a lot of areas of life. I think it's just really awesome that you both get to be your authentic selves, which I think a lot of people really wish they could achieve, but are really not there. You mentioned empowerment and we talked a bit about how you both as a couple, like what you're getting out of the lifestyle by being together, exploring it together. But as a woman, and I know Jackie were recently featured in ASN's Influential Women of the Lifestyle Issue. And I read your interview. It was fantastic. I want to know for you as a woman in the lifestyle, what is that like for you versus what other people think it's like for other women in the lifestyle? I've been told before by people that they think that their male partners in heterosexual relationships push them into it and stuff like that. And how, you know, women are more jealous creatures. I've heard a lot of things that I know are misconceptions. I know you have experienced the same thing. So what is it like for you versus what, you know, other people think they know? You know, I've heard those same kind of stigmas <laughs> attached to, you know, when, when people outside of the, the open relationship concept try to inflict on, you know, to kind of make sense in their own head of like how these women are able to do this. And, you know, actually before I, before I completely understood swinging, I would have had a lot of those same stigmas floating around. You're like, oh, these poor women, this, <laughs> these, this poor couple, they just don't understand. What I have found for me being in um, an open relationship is this voice, this um, woman that was kind of hidden deep within me that, that I placed there as a protection mechanism, you know, from society's view. You know, there was this, John touched on it earlier. There was this role I was to play if I was going to be accepted into society. And we all know it. You know, we all know what that is. There's this certain level of virginity that women are supposed to endlessly carry with them. Even if they're married, there's still this decorum we're supposed to have about ourselves and what whatever sexuality that we have is you know endlessly described as something wild or something masculine it's something that we don't get to own it's something that's really outside of ourselves or maybe we have some kind of an issue and so being introduced to this lifestyle and, and being encouraged by my partner to really kind of unlatch that box and let that powerful sexual woman out changed a lot of who I am at my core, you know, not at my core. I finally got to recognize that core and be okay with it and, and bring it out into the open and say, you know what? I'm done having you tell me who I am. I'm going to tell you who I am and I'm going to be proud of who I am and you can accept it or you cannot accept it. But this is, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, it was astounding how that catapulted me just kind of out to the stratosphere. I mean, I think that's one reason why, you know, I got so engrossed in the lifestyle along with John. I could see now why he loved it as a business. I did too. There was, you know, there was a message I felt like I wanted to get out there because I knew I wasn't the only woman that felt like that. You know, once I was introduced to it, just, you know, we talk about empowerment and that's great, but 
It's about being able to own who we are, to take that 100% responsibility of who we are as women and say, yes, we are sexual. Yes, we love emotions and all that, but you know, that's not just the only way we operate. I love that. Yeah, I do too. I just love the way John and Jackie talk about how the lifestyle empowers women and our sexual freedom of expression and exploration. I know it's definitely done that for me. You can learn more about open relationships and the swinging lifestyle with John and Jackie at openlove101.com. So speaking of swingers, here's a part of my conversation with Taylor Lay and Gabriel Mann of Sexperience, who talk about their personal journey in the swinging lifestyle and in their hot-wifing relationship. We all have our own dirty little secrets, don't we? Well, here to share their secrets with us today are two very unique individuals making up one hell of a unique couple, Taylor Lay and Gabriel Mann. I brought these two sexy folks onto my show to talk about some of the secrets they've revealed in their new book, Sixperience. This memoir offers an unfiltered look into the erotic worlds of swinging, escorting, and adult films, and how their committed, successful, and loving marriage thrives on and in these extremes. So Taylor and Gabe are going to tell me about their journey from toy love affair to making porn, and we'll be covering a lot of other very sexy topics together, including the details of what it's like within the swinging lifestyle, their relationship dynamic with Taylor being a hot wife, what their status as a provider couple means for their marriage, and their tips for what makes for a very successful swinging relationship. And these two describe themselves as America's premier provider couple, who's also the couple next door. What a combination. Welcome to my show, Taylor and Gabe. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Lexi. What's going on? We're excited to be here. I hate was like the best fucking introduction ever. It is very easy to do such a great introduction because there's so much going on with you two. I read this book that you guys have, Sixperience, and I'm quite impressed and I have so many questions for you. When we have so many answers for you. <laughs> so why did you both decide to share your story with the world? It's just a fabulous story. You know, it's really, it's sexy, it's scandalous. It's got all those elements, but beyond that, we feel very strongly that the lifestyle, hot wifing, but the lifestyle in general, that it's about time that it has recognition. Uh, it's about time that the subject is talked about in mainstream, and it's about time people realize that this isn't some dirty secret that couples have. It's actually a, an enhancing feature of relationships, and that more of us stay together longer and are happier than anybody else. And so it's it's about time to have that argument and bring it out of the closet, and that's kind of why we we went full throttle last year and, and pushed to get it published. Right, Taylor? Yes, and I would also add it's a love story at the core, but it also deals with a lot of important topics that swingers go through. You know, that whole, how do you get started? I don't know, you know? And so, because <laughs> there's not a lot out there really representative of the journey that you may go through. And everybody's journey is unique and everybody likes to share it. You know, we love hearing other stories too, but it really takes a certain type of relationship to maneuver through, you know, that path. So, so we're happy to share it. And you're right there. It really does take a certain kind of relationship to be able to navigate the swinging lifestyle in this way and in a healthy way. Uh, that's great for everybody who's involved. And oh, I know we're going to cover that in a little bit more depth later because those components that you talk about in your book are very universal in the sense that they're very basic and they're things that all couples who are looking to explore the swinging lifestyle should have as a foundation in their own relationships. 
So tell me a little bit about your experience, because I know even you guys, when you first started talking based on what you, you know, you're writing your book, there was a little bit of trepidation in wanting to share your sexual fantasies. The key is that open communication. Lexi has said, you know, you got to marry your best said, friend. You know, and I tell you what, I'm going to say, I'm going to say everything to you. And if you don't like me for who I am after I say it, then you don't love me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I got to, I got to go through those branches in my mind. What am I going to do if, you know, but you know what, if you tell me the same kind of things and I don't, I, I take a, a bad reaction to it, then I don't love you either. So how much is your relationship worth to you? Happy? Is it worth trying to be happy? Is it worth trying to make that other person happy? Or are you just content with being content and just walk through life as a zombie, you know? If you're afraid that your partner is maybe not going to be receptive to the fantasies that you have, maybe they're thinking the same thing about you. It doesn't necessarily mean that it can't work out, but that open dialogue has to start somewhere. There's a lot of fun that you can still have in your relationship, even if you haven't yet started to explore that. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what the swinging lifestyle is actually all about for people who don't know anything about it. And I know a lot of people who are listening right now are coming from SDC.com or are already members of SDC. Um, Like I mentioned before, we are the world's largest lifestyle dating platform. But for those who are not coming from SDC, who don't know what swinging is all about, how would you guys describe the lifestyle? I'm going to say that that what it's not is a fix for a relationship. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's not, we're in a rut. We need to get out of it. Let's try this. It is not that at all. I think I said it before in the podcast, Lexi, that couples in the lifestyle have longer lasting relationships and they have happier relationships than couples who aren't. And it's because we can talk, trust and communication. That's the key mm-hmm. to, to anything to do with a lifestyle. And so it's not a fix for a relationship. It's an enhancement for a relationship. That's my take on it. And that's what I would tell somebody. What would you say? Yeah, well, I I start with the whole, I'm more of an advocate. I get put on the spot. When these questions are asked, you get, here you go. We're standing outside and naughty, we're at an inn, naughty in New Orleans. And all these people want to know, what do these people with these purple badges have? Like what's going on in there? So you can choose to educate or you can choose to just keep walking and ignore it, right? So I do always use the terms consensual non-monogamy because that sensual piece, I think, is very important to the swinging lifestyle. I use sexual freedom. Mm-hmm. That's another word that I'll use to, you know, what is what is I am so, sexually enlightened. Yeah, that? that too. <laughs> Empowered, <laughs> man. The non-swingers that aren't educated and like to judge, which in our book's experience, we talk all about that too. It's a big fat orgy. Everybody's fucking and doing drugs and drinking and oh, it's all kinds of debauchery. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because it's exactly not what it is. Because like we were talking about, it takes a special couple. You have to have that trusted communication. So as far as I'm concerned, we're already lengths ahead you know, I'm not going to hate on the people that aren't swingers, of course not. But if you judge me for what I do, you have no idea. Then my relationship is much stronger and happier than yours is, I can guarantee. Because if you find out what swinging is and you don't want to do it, then don't. It's okay. Just pet my ass out. You know, I think those are the basics. You know, I really do try to educate. Like Gabe said, you have to take it slow. You have to talk a lot before you do anything you have to figure out what's right for you you have to read our book and 
and then go from there and because hopefully I'll give you the tools to to do it. Yeah, and it's all about those negative stigmas that we're talking about, right? You talk about consensual non-monogamy and anything aside from the norm of, let's say, traditional monogamy is going to be, you know, interpreted in a particular way by people who don't understand what it's really like inside of the lifestyle. So they will judge. They don't really know. They think, yeah, everything's an orgy. Every, you know, it's all about sex. And we know because we're in it, it isn't all about sex. For me, it is about that freedom like you were talking about. It is about connecting with other other people and open-minded people who already at the base are open to talking about their experiences, open to talking about their relationships and sexuality, open within the couples experiencing this beautiful lifestyle together. It is a great community of very, very cool people. And it is not all about sex. I have tons of friends within the lifestyle who are just there to be among other people who are open-minded. And then if they want to experiment with their partner in front of other people or watch other people do other things, they can do that. It's an option. It's not an obligation. There's something for everybody. What I love is that non-judgmental aspect that I seek out in other people within the lifestyle. And that non-judgmental aspect is just non-existent for a lot of people who are in that traditionally monogamous community. And the problem with that is, like I said, they kind of frown upon what it is that we do. And that's why the lifestyle doesn't ever really get the recognition that it deserves, in my opinion. It is a very much a culture of consent and saying no is totally fine. No one's going to judge you for saying no. If you're not into it, you say no, no problem. Okay, moving on to the next person. Well, and here's the thing. And this is something I tell people to do not ever do anything you don't want to. Mm. I mean, I think as swingers, we've all probably done one thing that so we look true. back and go oh my god I just didn't have fun I did it because maybe I thought you thought this or whatever you know and that's where the communication piece comes in and um and just don't if you're uncomfortable with the situation or if something's going on you're like what's up what I, stop talk nobody's gonna freak out swinging is a it's a trial and error. It's a learn on the job. It's a, you know, it, and it's an amazing thing at the same time. You know, you know what swinging is? You know what swinging is for couples? It is the PhD level of marriage. Hmm. So, or a relationship. So if, you know, you, you can't, you can't get to that level unless you've gone through all the other levels. <laughs> so having a solid relationship is absolutely key to even thinking about engaging your partner with the conversation of swinging. What are the foundational elements that, you know, a couple would need to get to that PhD level? Well, both of you have to be able to feel like you can tell the other person anything and not be judged harshly. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if there's any scientific evidence behind this, but I believe that the reason why you wouldn't tell a significant other something is because you're afraid of the reaction. Whatever that reaction would be, anger, judgment, scorn, belittlement, whatever that is, you're afraid of it, so you withhold that. So that, there's the trust that the other person won't judge you. There's trusting that they're going to that they're going to entrust you with the same amount of trust too, so that they're going to reciprocate at some point, and they're going to share with you what you the kind of information you've shared with them, you know, so you can be on the same level. And then trust means that when you have that, that you can talk. And so you use the opportunity to talk about anything and everything all the time. 
you know, and those two elements, trust and communication, that's absolutely necessary just to have a happy relationship, period. Yes. With another human being. Yeah. Let alone swing, which is exactly what you have to do to be able to enter and, and maintain a relationship and a lifestyle. And you define yourselves in so many different ways, you know, reading the book and Taylor, the last chapter, it's your turn to talk, right? And you say some great things and you also define yourself as a hot wife. Tell me a little bit about that aspect of your relationship. I don't think we started out that way. We realized that what really turns us on is me going out on a date and then coming back to my husband and reconnect. So there are different levels as far as you have the hot wife who it sounds like it's a very controlling position according to a lot of books. I don't feel like I'm controlling anything. I feel like I'm horny. I'm a nympho and I like to have sex and I like to have sex with other men. I love attention from other men. That gets me really horny. And my husband loves to watch, but he also doesn't mind. If I go out on a date with another man and come home and I mean, there's security measures in place and stuff. So like we talked about it, I would never let my husband go out with another woman that I didn't know where he was or what was going on. I just mm-hmm. think that, so he always knows where I am and what's going on. It's whatever agreement you have between each other that makes each other comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had a lot of, a lot of trial and error through this and finding out, no, that didn't work. No, you didn't call me, honey. I didn't know. So that's the reality of the situation. The sexy part of it is that I come home and it's very sexy to my husband and I get to reconnect with him afterwards and it's a, it's a huge turn on for him. So there's no really cuckold or stag. It's, it's just me going out and doing my thing, getting my fulfillment there, but then also being able to share myself with my husband and know he loves me. And this is just the hottest thing that we've ever done at the moment. You know, what turns you on turns me on. honey. (laughs) I love being a hot wife and I love to talk about it. And it it is, it's a complex relationship. Read the book, but um, there's more to come. So I love, I love to share. If you enjoyed my chat with Taylor Lay and Gabriel Mann, check out their book at sexperience-thebook.com. That's experience with three X's. So that's it for this week's episode, my lectual friends. Thank you all for listening today. Don't forget that you can learn more about sex, health, and relationships as you seek yourself, discover together, and create moments at sdc.com. Use my promo code 7070 to get two months free at sdc.com and try out the world's largest open-minded dating platform for yourself. Tune in Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Variety Channel for my next show. And you can always get my podcast episodes on demand whenever you want them on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play Music. Thanks for joining me, Lexi Silver, on Seek, Discover, Create. I wish you all a happy holiday season. Until next time, stay lectual, people. Bye. We appreciate you joining us on Seek, Discover, Create, presented by SDC.com. Please join your host, Lexi Silver, on another erotic journey next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, may you enjoy exploring your sexuality. Sexuality.